0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. So last week, let's see what we got all set here, Nathan. Last week's memory verse, let's say it together. I know it's up there, but if you don't have to look, you don't have to look. Let's say it together, that is why I am suffering as I am, yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and in convinced he is able to guard, what I have entrusted to him until that day. 2 Timothy 1.12 So for those of you that uh, do have children, I might want to mention that the cards that we passed out, you might notice that there's a bold section and then a lighter section. So some of the verses that are longer, uh, Susie suggested to the children that, that they just do the bold part because that's the heart of the verse. And if any of you have a little struggle memorizing and you'd like to do that, you feel free to do it. You know, no one's keeping score. And uh, and I also know for some of us that memorize these in the King James, it is hard, isn't it, <laughs> to kind of switch. So that's okay, too. Um, so uh, but I but encourage you as we continue to work on our verses together and, re- and remember the truths of the scriptures that uh, God has put. And we're going to look at today's topic and our new verse uh, from the book of Hebrews this morning. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we pray your word will be blessed to our hearts. We think of our children as they are meeting, think of the young people as they meet later on tonight, the ladies as they are wrapping up their retreat, our early childhood classes as we all are focusing on your Word. Lord, we never take this for granted. It's a freedom we have that uh, we can read your Word, we can teach your Word, we can apply your Word. And so we ask for the next few moments that your Word will be uh, found in our hearts, and that our hearts will be pleasing to you as we meditate upon it and as we live by your Word this week. In Christ our Savior's name, all God's people can say together, Amen. So this morning's uh, verse uh, is a topic that the Bible actually speaks a fair amount about in the New Testament. And that is money. Okay, uh, you know, last week um, I had uh, my uh, the little guy, actually my grandson, I gave him the key and put it in his trust, remember, to guard it. Until I almost thought about getting a hundred dollar bill and giving him. But then I thought that might cause too much commotion among the young people. Uh, so I didn't do that. I also was reminded this week, and rightly so, that when I got that key, I signed a thing that said I will not loan it, I will not give it out, I will not. <laughs> so, But anyway, we took exception to that. So money, money, money. Uh, the Bible speaks much about this. The Lord Jesus Christ, in Pauline epistles, in the general epistles, this topic is addressed. And it's one that's important to all of us. Uh, it's something that, that we talk about at church when we receive our tithes and our offerings, our gifts. And uh, again, as I, as I pray this morning, we appreciate a, a congregation that gives sacrificially. You don't, you don't give what's left over. You give sacrificially. We thank you so much for your response to our uh, fundraising for the building project. We haven't done this for a long time here and we just appreciate so much your, uh, your sacrificial giving. And we know that this is an important issue for all of us, money, and how we handle our money, what we do with our money, and how it impacts our lives. So our verse this morning from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, and verse 5, if you want to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, Hebrews 13, first general epistles, and again, as we've talked about before, we don't know exactly who wrote. Some believe it was Paul. Some believe it was one of Paul's workers. Someone else, it wasn't. We really don't know for sure. But the book of Hebrews that was written to, uh, primarily it was, starts at the beginning, is to the, the scattered tribes, the, the Jewish believers. But the theme here is one that is consistent in this topic throughout the New Testament. Like I said, in the Gospels, in Paul's epistles, and in the general epistles, this topic of money. And so in chapter 13 and verse 4, there's a series of sort of short exhortations on different topics. And following the one on marriage and then on sexual uh, immorality that we are to keep ourselves pure and clean from, then he says this, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you you have. Now, of course, this is a very practical application. One that's much easier said than done. Keep your lives free from, you notice, the love of money and be content with what you have. And I want us to think about how this connects to this word contentment. Uh, before we're done today, I am going to give you the secret of contentment. That will be helpful. I'm not going to give it to you. The Lord's going to give it to you from His Word. What is the secret? How can we be content? You know, we live in a we live in a culture and a world, of course, that is um, we have so much available to us. We all know that, and we we there are so many things that constantly vying for our, our our money and our and it's interesting that it is interesting that this admonition on money and contentment. Follows the one regarding marriage and immorality, sexual immorality, and that is because you actually will see this several places in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, in Ephesians, in 1 Thessalonians, in Deuteronomy, uh, you'll see this connection that these two go together. In fact, they are, they are placed on each other in the Mosaic law as well, and it, they have some of the same, um, The rationale for it is the self-gratification. That the reason that those two follow each other quite often in scriptures. You'll see this pattern. Contentment. Keep yourselves free, free from the love of money. Let's look at a couple other passages that deal with this topic. Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount of the Lord Jesus Christ as he gathered his disciples on that hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee, a very beautiful setting, very peaceful setting. As he gathered there and he shared them these teachings we call the Sermon on the Mount, which was several short, some longer, exhortations on life and how to live. And in chapter uh, 6, and in verse 19, he begins the section on treasure. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that's really true. Isn't that so practical? Where, you, where is your treasure today? Where is your What is your heart most concerned about today? Where is your treasure? What are the things you treasure the most? And then he goes to the, at the end of this passage in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve. You notice the word serve. You cannot serve both God and money. When we talk about this topic, it's you notice the words serve and love. um, Love of money. Serving money, where your treasure is, and I, I think we will see in these passages that you know, money can be is, is a neutral thing. Riches or wealth is a neutral thing. and I know you would expect me to say, as I've said before, in this setting, in this congregation, we have a spectrum of of, of, uh, of money available to you and not available to you. Uh, we all have different resources and so on. As a whole, I think you realize, as a culture and as a whole, we all have uh, much more available to us than many, many people in the world or in history. You know, I think sometimes when you, you watch some of these shows of uh, royalty back in the 1600s and 1700s, and you think, I have more luxuries in my house than the king or queen of England had. Right? I mean, I have a refrigerator. Right? I have running water. I have a thermostat. That, even in an old house like mine, it works. It controls the heat, turns it on and off. I have medical uh, uh, things I can take advantage of. I have food and nutrition and things that, that are so readily available. I mean, even in the simplest of situations, we have so much compared to, if you think in terms of world history, you know, the, 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 the person here who has the least still has so much compared to world history and even the people in the world today. And yet, that is not always so helpful when we are in a situation where it is really hard to get by. And I understand that. I understand that, that it's it's, when it's hard to get by. I mean, I didn't appreciate it as a child. I really didn't know what was going on. But it was later on when I was like in high school, early adulthood, talking to my mother how hard it was when, when my father died. He, he didn't have any savings. He didn't have any life insurance. He was a hard working man. He worked, never missed a day, never was sick a day in his life until he got cancer. And um, and, and I sometimes think, what would it be like lying in a hospital bed knowing you're going to die with four children in a life and no resources? And I didn't appreciate it at the time. But I look back now and, and yet how God provided you know, it's one of those crazy stories you hear every so often of, you know, my mom had a heat bill due, and the guys at Fentron, where he worked down you remember, down there by Ballard, the Fentron aluminum deck, uh, then they have aluminum windows and so forth. And the guys collected a bag of money, and they brought it to the house and gave it to her. And it was just one of these stories that you hear once in a while. It was right to the penny what her heat bill was. You know, how that happens. And so I understand there's a variety, even in this congregation, and I don't mean to discount the challenges and struggles that some of you are having right now. Some of you are having right now um, trying to get by. I'm just talking about in our context of history and culture, there is just so much, and there's so many things that, that, that are vying for our attention and our money. So many things that you'd like to buy, we'd like to have. The Lord Jesus Christ says, be careful. You cannot serve. You cannot serve money and God, it doesn't work. You can't do it. You're either going to hate the one and love the other, or vice versa. Very important passage, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And in 1 Timothy, you will also notice, as you go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, one of Paul's strong teachings regarding money. And the Apostle Paul, you read his story in the book of Acts, and you read his epistles, and Paul was a tent maker, and he worked hard. He went city to city, and he worked in his craft and in his trade, and he was good at it, and he worked hard to provide for himself, but also to provide for the ministry. So in his early days of the Christian church, he didn't want to be a burden to anybody, and he did not want anybody to think he was doing this for the money. And so Paul worked in his craft and his trade of making tents and working alongside uh, tent makers. It was a very important business, and a very he could do very well at it. In First Timothy, Timothy chapter three, one of the qualifications for elders in a church, for pastors, is that they do not want they are not ones who are loving money whose goal is to make money that they serve money and then you will also in chapter 6 1 Timothy chapter 6 as Paul writes last week we talked about 2 Timothy chapter 6 Paul's last epistle 1 Timothy chapter 6 in this same context you'll notice that it, this this teaching on money follows uh um in verses three to, three to five about false teachers and false doctrines, you notice, let me, how it ends here. I mean, look, I'm just going to pick up in verse five right in the middle of a thought that these people are constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth who think that godliness is a means to financial gain that godliness is a means to financial gain. So already, this early in the history of the Christian church, there are those who have figured out that it was a way to make money. That if they could promote themselves in leadership, if they could promote themselves, that they could get money from people and they could get rich off it. This is really early in the story, right? And it's something that has plagued the church till this day, of course. Are those charlatans, we call them, and so forth, who are in it to make money and, and live very ex, with the great extravagance, great extravagance, who make their money that way off the gospel. They saw it as a means to loving money, to getting rich, to serving money. And the Apostle Paul says this, in light of that, in light of the fact that Timothy knows this, he says, but godliness with contentment, those two, godliness with contentment is great gain. He's talking about gain. He's talking about people who want to increase what they have. Paul says, godliness coupled with contentment is great gain. And, it, and what he says here is so obvious. And we all know this, right? For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Isn't that so obvious? You guys are going to have a baby here in June, right? What's that baby bringing in the world? Nothing. And when we leave this world, we take nothing. It's so obvious. It's so obvious what, what, what the Lord teaches and what Paul teaches here. Yet we need to be reminded of this. We need to, you know, it reminds me so often when I do my hospital, uh, visit, when I do calling, visitation, one of the things that's really impacted me and impressed me is when I get to, as a pastor, you know I get to share in, you know, from birth to death with families in, in, in a very intimate type of way, and a part of your lives as your pastor. All of us do as pastors. And one of the things that's made a real impression on me is I visit people who are in the last stages of their life in a care facility, and their life their life has been reduced. I mean, I think of my life right now. I think of my house. You know, Teresa and I, we live in the house I grew up in. It's a big old house down in the green, Greenwood area. Uh, what we like to say, Finney Ridge now, right? That's Green, Green Lake area, Greenland. And, you know, we've been there for, well, I, I grew up in the house. So I, I took my, my brother was over for Easter dinner. I took him downstairs. They look at, here on the wall behind my train table, where all Dick Horn's trains that he gave me are. My kids go down and run trains, and my kids and my grandkids, uh, who put that football play? Who drew that football play? It's a running play on the wall in white chalk or white paint, you know, with all the tackle guards and the IRLs, like a real football play. And I took my brother down and said, look it, that's that play you drew back in the 60s. The kids don't want to know who put that there, because he did that. And it's still there. There's still stuff in my basement from when I was a kid. All the stuff we've added, and we're not extravagant collectors or anything, but I think of my house and what's in it. And possibly, if the Lord doesn't come or the Lord doesn't take me home sooner, what's probably going to happen, or what could happen, let's just say, what could happen is eventually that will get reduced to something smaller, something smaller, something smaller. Something smaller. And my life could be uh, in a room, you know, from here to the edge of the piano, maybe this big. Maybe shared with someone else, and that will be my life. That will be everything I have, everything I own. And you know, so often I visit people, and you know what? It's okay, right? It's okay. I'm just struck by this. It's okay. All those things that I have now, all that stuff. Gary, you can have my records. All right, Gary. You know, okay. If you got room for them. Uh, who wants my reel-to-reel? Who wants my 8-track tapes? Anybody want my... Hey, Patrick wants my 8-track tapes. <laughs> okay. You know, um, that's weird, I know, right? 8-track tapes. They're yeah. <laughs> about the worst quality sound you can get, but they're fun. Anyway, my books. My books. I talked to a pastor this week, pastor friend of mine in our Shoreline Pastors Group. He's in that stage of life right now. He's going to be... Not, not He's gonna be living with his family and his, you know, they're just downsides to that. All these books. And I've riddled them down to half of that and I put them in my garage when I left my office. And I've just given them away. It's just part of me. But you know what? We brought nothing in this world. We take nothing out. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. You don't have to worry about it. Because I have noticed the older we get, as i as i spend time with these dear saints who i say are much older than me i'm just so impressed it's okay it's okay godliness with contentment is a good thing and it happens in stages maybe in our life and it's okay it's hard but it's okay paul says this verse 8 but if now think of this this is the apostle paul who spent who's, who was in in prison But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Food and clothing, really? Could you or I be content with food and clothing? Without my laptop? Without your cell phone? Without the entertainment systems? Without our vehicles? without our backups, with food and clothing, Paul says. This is from the Apostle Paul to the church. If it comes down to that, Paul says, we will be content. People who want, and here we are are again, who desire to get rich, fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And of course, obviously, he says the love of money. I want to tell you something else. In my years of ministry, one of the things that I have found so refreshing is the generosity of people in this church who have been blessed with much more for whatever reasons, through their work, for whatever reasons. God has blessed them. They have a lot more than their people. And they have a spirit of generosity. I tell you, that is such a blessing. I'm not going to name anybody. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I think back over the years when this youth group, as kids, and we and we go to their homes and use everything they have, and it's like, go ahead, you know. I mean, could I be that generous? Could I be that free with the things I have and say, hey, it's yours. Use them. And to see people give so generously and be generous with the things they have, that is a blessing as well. The money is a neutral thing. Paul warns us, if you love it and you desire to make that your focus in life, then yes, it is harmful. The Bible also tells us if God God blesses you with it, then be generous. That's a blessing as well. Be generous. Give to those in need. Give to others. Finally, Philippians chapter four, verse nineteen. I don't even need to return to it. It's you know the passage I read, read with Dale the other day, be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then later on that fourth chapter, Paul says, I know what it's like to have nothing. And he says, I know what it's like to abound. A base and abound. Paul says, I've been in every situation. I've had absolutely nothing, food and clothes. And I've been in situations where I have much more that God's blessed me with. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. In every situation, I have found I can be content. I can be content. Because my God shall supply your every need. The word content... The word contentment in the Greek, it comes actually from an idea of raise, the original root it's connected to has the idea of raising a barrier to to ward off, to ward off enemies by implications, to to be satisfied, to be self-satisfied as you have this barrier to ward off everything else. To be content is to have enough to be sufficient and that what you have suffices. Isn't that interesting? It comes to the idea of to, to, to build this barrier so you are okay. You are okay. And you're not at the mercy of your enemies. Be content. So friends, the Bible speaks much of the love of money. And look for the rest of this verse. Why? Because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I abandon you. Never will I forsake you. Never. It's interesting that the I I told you this morning, I'm going to give you the secret to contentment. The secret to contentment from Hebrews chapter 13 is simply this. The reason we are content. Why? Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I abandon you. I know sometimes people say, you know, and, and, and I understand, I mean, Dear Christian friends who I consider mature believers have said, oh, I just felt abandoned by God. I went through this time in my life, maybe you feel that way today, where I've been abandoned by God. And, and, and you, and you preface it generally by saying, I, I feel abandoned by God, because in your heart you know, God does not abandon us. Right? Amen? God does not abandon us. But there are times, the circumstances in our life, things we're working through, where maybe we feel that way, but we understand That, that God has not abandoned us. And we find our way back. We find our back to that place where, where we come to understand and appreciate more how God never abandons us. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. You know, it's interesting where this comes from. This is this, this is a, you'll notice if you have a newer translation, you'll notice it's offset in, in a quotation like it's a, like a quote, like a, like a proverb or prophetic statement from the Old Testament. And it doesn't really, there's really no verbatim statement in the Old Testament. But this, the Bible commentaries and scholars are are in agreement that the two passages it comes from, and it's interesting that Philo, a during this first century, a Greek a philosopher as well, quoted this exactly the same way, which tends to think there was a, a, a Greek translation in the Old Testament. But if you go back to Deuteronomy, and in Deuteronomy, Chapter thirty-one. As Moses as Moses comes to the end of his time with Israel, they are standing near the banks of the Jordan River, and they are looking ahead to what is ahead of them. And Joshua is passing the baton of leadership, if you will, on Moses is, to Joshua, who will now have to take the people into that land. And in chapter six, the verse thirty-one, when God talks about Israel, God will deliver your enemies to you. I mean these, these people, these, these people have been nomadic for the last 40 years. They are going up against cities like Jericho. That the walls are so thick you could drive chariots abreast around the city on the top of the wall. There was no way they were going to get to that wall. There's no chance this nomadic people could break through that wall. But God says, don't worry. I'm going to take care of this. And He says this in verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. Why? For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. As they stood there on the banks of the Jordan River, as they looked across that, as they looked across that river into the land they were going, The presence of God went with them in the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant was God's presence, and God reminded them. In fact, in the Jewish in the in the Jewish uh, Bible, I have the um, Jewish Study Bible put out by that Jewish publication site. They translate this because I am marching with you. I am marching with you. I am going with you. And the Ark of the Covenant was a reminder of God's presence that you don't need to be afraid. Israel, I am not going to abandon you, and I'm not going to forsake you. I am marching with you. And that is why you should have no fear. And then shortly afterward, when Joshua takes over, and Joshua now is the one who's going to have to actually do this, and he stands there, and God says to him in in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor abandon you. And I think also the presence of God. If you remember, it was a pillar of fire by night and that cloud, it was this cloud and this pillar. And 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 when the Ark of the Covenant was in their midst, there was a constant reminder of the Shekinah presence of God. God was marching with them. When they camped, He was there. When they struck camp and moved, He was there. When they went to Jericho, He was there. When they went all over the land. He was with him. I am marching with you. I will never abandon you. The presence of God was always with them. And so our verse today, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content. Listen, friends. It doesn't mean you don't work hard. It doesn't mean that you might do well. You know, we talked about this at our men's breakfast yesterday and it is faith in the workplace. And you should be the best employee. You should be the best at your trade. You should be the best at what you do because you're a Christian and you're serving God. And sometimes that is recognized and noted. And sometimes you're rewarded for that. Other times you're persecuted for that. Right. But you should be the best at what you do. I mean, we're serving God, not people. And if God rewards you, be content. If you don't have as much as someone else, work hard, but understand, God's going with you. Be content. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, but we also have another verse this week. You have two verses this week, so if you want to go with the bold children's one, that's okay. But there's two verses. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Amen. This comes from Psalm 118. I'm not going to take time this morning, but if you were to take time and read through the Psalm, the 118th Psalm, it's a hallelujah Psalm when they went to Jerusalem uh, during Passover time. And it's the Psalm that has these quotes from from Palm Sunday in it. It's in that context. That the author quotes from, from this Psalm 118. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Friends, we are called to be content. I, I thought this, this quote from C.S. Lewis, I thought was very, very interesting. It's from C.S. Lewis. He who has God and everything has no more than he who has God Does that make sense? This person has God and they have extravagance. When all is said and done, they have no more than this person who just has God. Because ultimately, we brought nothing in, we're taking nothing out, God will take care of us, God will never abandon us, God will never forsake us. He who has God in everything has no more than he who has God alone. If you have God alone today, you have everything. It's the presence of God. What is the secret to contentment? The secret to contentment is not deciding you're not gonna do the best you can to provide for your family, you're not gonna seek to do better, you're not gonna seek different positions, you're not, that's not it, that's not what I'm talking about. The secret of contentment, whether it's much or it's little, is the presence of God is going with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now think of Israel stand there at that Jordan River. It's not a big river, but they did have to cross it. And they crossed that river into a new venture. You know, every Sunday we gather, this is the first day of a new week. For all of you, today is a new venture. For some of you, there are some big new ventures ahead. For every one of us, it's a new venture. We don't know what God has this week for us. But we do know this. Whatever God has for us this coming week, as we begin a new week, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. You can be content with the presence of God in your life. Friends, the Bible tells us to avoid the love and service of money, but to love God first, and let Him provide, and to go in His presence. Let's close our service this morning with another hymn we guys are going to sing. We worship together. We're going to stand, and we're going to sing our final hymn, and we're going to memorize this week's verse together. What I love about this church family is that we are a family, and we've got all ages here. And one of the advantages and wonderful things about that is that we have some older Christians, even older than me, who are here today, who would be the first to testify. You look back over your life, maybe 90-some years, 80s, 70s, you look back over your life, and they will tell you, God has never forsaken us. And I know there's a challenge today. and I know there's a challenge for many of you, but I just want to remind you, God will never abandon Or forsake you, and we can be content with what God's given us. Let's pray, Father. As we close this service, I mean, no, these are these are the things that are so much easier to talk about than do. I know that. I know that in my own life. I know how I desire things and buy things and look back and ask myself, Did I really need that? Did it make me any happier? It did for a little bit, but then I'm on to the next thing. And yet, and Lord, we know that there are people here today who have got some real challenges financially. And it's not easy. It's easy to talk about, but it's not easy to be content. There's so many, uh, so many different things that, that you've placed before us. But the most important thing you've given us is your presence. And it's a theme that runs from Genesis to Revelation, that for God's people in every era, in every dispensation, every age, that you have promised to march with us, to go with us. And you will never abandon us. You will never abandon our children, our young people, because you are a loving God who knows how to take care of what belongs to you. We give you thanks for that today. We rejoice in that. And we pray you will help us to be people who are godly, who are content, who love you, and who serve you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.